Hello everyone, welcome to Mouth Off. This is the official podcast of heyyouguys.co.uk. My name is John Lias and joining me on the podcast tonight we have two writers from Hey You Guys. We have Craig Skinner and Emily Breen and joining us as always is Brendan Connolly from SlashFilm.com. Now we've got three films that we're going to look at this week. We're not going to centre on any of the news that's out because frankly there's nothing been that amazing. So we're going to talk about three of the films that we've seen that are either out this week or are coming out in the next few weeks. Um, first one we're going to look at is It's a Wonderful Afterlife. Now, Brendan, you saw this. This is the um, this is the latest film from um, uh, Gurinda Chada, who I believe did Bend It Like Beckham. Barge on the Beach. Barge on the Beach, yeah. Would be the famous one. Um, mm-hmm. Angus Thongs and... Um, what did they call it in the end? They took the full snogging. Fr- perfect perfect snogging. snogging. Adapted from the book Full Frontal Snogging. Um <laughs> So they, they sanitise that a little bit. She did a nice little bit in the Paris Je Thème uh, anthology. Oh, yes, yes. Okay, so uh, this is her latest film, and I think a lot of people will have seen the posters, and it really looks quite bizarre. It's um, From what I understand from the posters, I haven't seen it. Um, uh, M, uh, Craig, I don't think... Have you seen it either? No. Okay. No, so no, no. I've seen the marketing, which looks pretty terrible, to be honest. It does look awful. Yeah, it does look pretty bad. So, Brendan, you're here to tell us all. Um, is it a particularly good um, addition to her to her canon, or is it a bit pants? I think it's probably my favourite Gurinder Chana film, um, with the exception of the little short in Parashatem, which I think is, is, is beautiful, really. Um, it's not as good as that, but it, it, it's okay, I mean, I had a lot of problems with uh, Bride and Prejudice and, and Bend It Like Beckham, particularly Watch Cooking, a film she did that was quite technically rough. Um, but uh, this film still, you know, there is still a little tackiness around the edges, um, but some of the production values are, are higher than we, we, we've come to expect from, from her stuff. And the story's a little, I mean, it's still messed up, but it's a little more on target than she's sometimes been. This is about a... Um, uh an Indian mother who um, I believe she has, uh, does she have a daughter to, to marry off? Yeah, let me, let me explain this because, because um, there are spoilers in some of the marketing and I'm trying to, uh, you know, uh, do a better job than the marketing and, and keep some of the spoilers under wrap. The film starts with uh, a man being force-fed curry at knife point. He's then rushed to hospital where his stomach explodes um, and it's like, you know, they restaged Alien with Mr. Creosote. That's kind of what the scene looks like. Um, and and uh, he dies, obviously, from this exploded stomach. And it seems that somebody has been committing murders. We don't know who it is. And part of the first act of the film is finding out who it is. But the various people who've been murdered now reappear as ghosts. And the way they're, they're handled is somewhere between uh, Stardust where all of the brothers who, who die, all the princes who die, uh, become a sort of Greek chorus uh, and loiter, and a little bit like American Werewolf in London, actually. And you'll remember from American Werewolf in London how uh, Griffin Dunn decayed more and more as the film went on. It's the same deal with the ghosts here. So we've got this chorus of ghosts who attend to various scenes throughout the film, and they're only ever seen by a small number of characters. Again, I won't say how many, because, again, that's potentially a spoiler. Um, and as the film goes on, we find out that there's a young girl who 
um, has split up from her her betrothed. She's now feeling very unlovable, and her mother is trying to find a new boyfriend for her. And um, it seems that her match, though, is a man who, uh, you know, she knew as a child. He's now grown up, and he's working on the police squad investigating this series of murders. Okay, so that sounds like quite a, a bizarre setup. Um, you've, you've kind of set the, the bar pretty high with American Wealth in London being uh, one of the potential influences. When I saw it, all I could think of is the, um, the when I saw the marketing, this, all I could think of was the, the Woody Allen bit in um, uh, Everyone Says I Love You, where you have the um, you know the ghost of the of the grandfather coming. Sure, up, sure. You know. So um, I'm I'm expecting I'm expecting good things from it. I'm, I'm not sure if I'm, I'm going to go and see it. Before you give us your opinion on it, um, M uh, or Craig. Are you planning on seeing this? Is this the kind of thing that, that would appeal to you based on you know her previous work? Um, absolutely not. <laughs> no, I think I just think the trailer looks bizarre, and I don't know. It it almost comes across as a bit of a cheesy TV sitcom or a comedy. I, it just it didn't seem to work. And the the lead actress, I'm not I'm not sure of her name. She seemed to have some kind of prosthetics on her face. I don't know whether she has a beautiful transformation halfway through and become slim and fabulous, but it just looked odd. Craig, what about you? Are you planning on making a date with this one? No. I mean, Brendan almost made it sound intriguing, but I'm still not sold. I mean, it, it just, yeah, nothing looks appealing about it. I mean, I, to be honest, I haven't really seen any of her previous films. Uh, I mean, again, they didn't look appealing. Bend It Like Beckham does not appeal to me in any way. Yeah, I mean, um, Barge on the Beach was the first one that I saw, and I remember enjoying it immensely. I mean, that was quite a while ago, though, so um, uh, Bend It Like Beckham I did see. I don't know why I saw it, but, you know, it was it was fine. Um, I've got really no interest in this, despite the fact that it's, you know, comedy horror, which, you know, is a particularly fine genre. But Brendan... It, it, it's not, it's not, it's comedy. It's comedy. Um, there's nothing horrific about it, really. I mean... Okay. It's certainly not played for any sort of scares, but it's weird because it takes its influences from strange places. We've got this American werewolf stardust thing going on. We've got this scene at the start that's clearly uh, staged in such a way to to reference Alien. We've got a later sequence, which is just this astonishing recreation of a moment from Carrie. And I don't want to... I mean, like a, like a, a, a continued one. It's like a minute and a half worth. Um, it's not just sort of a little flash in the pan one shot. So it's full of all these quite unexpected allusions to films from the horror genre. But at its heart, it's another uh, attempt to tell a character-driven story that takes place in uh, multi-ethnic Britain and to include characters of diverse backgrounds and to have them interrelate with one another. And I understand the intention. I wish it was a little bit funnier. I wish it was a little bit tidier. There's some bizarre errors in some of the shots. There's one where Zoe Wanamaker's character sort of lapses into the, the sort of very edge of the screen and it's really this strange fuzzy thing going on that's quite annoying. There's some issues with screen direction at times and, and some of the edits are off. And, it, it, you know, it's, it, it's just a little rough. But it is sweet. And I did think Goldie Note, who plays the, the lead character, I don't quite know what Em was talking about. Maybe looking at trailer quickly, she didn't quite see it. She, she looks fresh-faced and completely normal and not at all laden with prosthetics in the film. She seems to have really strange cheeks. I don't know if it's something that they do, really? so there's some kind she of special effect. No, no, absolutely yeah. not. There are characters in the film whose cheeks decompose. I don't know if you <laughs> too quick in 
quick shots in quick succession foxed you or something. She just looks like, you know, a, 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 a quite attractive young lady, really. I don't, I didn't see anything weird about her at all. But, um, yeah, I, I, you know what? I was pleased to see how busy it was at the cinema. I went to see it with a paying audience and uh, it was pretty much full. Okay. Uh, and that was that was encouraging, and I'm glad that they went to see this. And you know, in the week that Cemetery Junction opened last week at number seven and sort of tanked, mm. I was just thinking, well, maybe people don't want to watch films about Britain. Maybe we only do want to watch people in spandex throwing lightning bolts at one another. But uh, apparently not. Well, that's pretty so, were the audience were the audience fairly responsive? Were they laughing? The people I spoke to afterwards. Mm. Uh, liked it i think i think there was a sense of fondness there were some big laughs if you go by a sort of like you know a, a laugh count i think i laughed out loud maybe twice i think that the average person in there laughed out loud maybe three times some probably didn't laugh at all but but that's fine it was quite it was just quite warm i mean i think it's a solid sort of four out of ten and I think, and I don't mean that in the best possible way <laughs> sounds quite hard when i say it you're like not that, selling but, it brandon with four out of ten well, but. Do you know what? I mean, you know, you're going to be niggled and you're going to be bugged. It's not the best cinematography Dick Pope's ever done. It's not the greatest editing you've ever seen in your life, but it's not a bad film. Hmm. And, and I mean, it sounds like it's it's pretty entertaining. And um, you know, if you sat in and watched comedy. it on TV, you wouldn't you wouldn't hate yourself afterwards. Well, that's it. I mean, but potentially, I mean, and, and something I was thinking about with the Cemetery Junction reference, of course, everyone knows Ricky Gervais and Stephen Merchant from their. TV work, but Cemetery Junction, I think, was a bit of a step up. Whereas, I'm not sure if this is a bit. Um, it sounds as if it could have been made for TV. And I think I think it's Chada's best film, and I think that when you see moments like the Carrie moment, mm. um, you'll see that actually there is an attempt to do something cinematic here. It's just not consistent, and you know that's the sort of budgets people play with. And certainly when you're uh, when you're um, uh, making a film that's supposedly of minority interest. Mm. Uh, as in the case with both this and, and Cemetery Junction, I'd argue, um, you haven't got a lot of money to throw around. No, true. Oh, well, I mean, um, it sounds as if it was a fairly entertaining film and, uh, you know, a pretty decent comedy, which I, I think, I'm hoping is, is going to do better. I didn't know about Cemetery Junction not doing too well. I think that's a bit of a shame, really. But um, I think uh, the fact that there are so many other films, you know, coming out like like, like Kick-Ass and, you know, all of the, maybe the, the bigger, more marketed films... Um, you know, that may push things like Central Junction and may push this one down, you know, people's sort of priorities really. But, um, okay, thanks for that, Brendan. We're going to move on to um, to a film that I saw this week. On Monday night, I was uh, privileged enough to go and see The Losers, which is the film by uh, Sylvain White, whose previous work was uh, Stomp the Yard, I believe. I've not seen it, um, but he did um, he did that in 2007? This is the comic book adaptation. It was written by Andy Diggle and illustrated by Jock, and stars um, stars Chris Evans, Captain America. It stars uh, Idris Elba, and stars Jeffrey Dean Morgan and Zoe Saldana, amongst others. It's um, before I go, I go into it a bit more. Um, I'm going to ask. I'm going to sort of, sort of throw this out, um, guys. What do you know about this film, and are you looking forward to it, Craig? Let's start with you. What do you know about the losers? Um, I know. Decent amount. I've seen all the trailers and clips that have been online. Um, although I haven't read the comic, I've read I've read a couple of issues of the comic, and I had a, you know a bit of a flick through the others. Um, so I'm kind of familiar with it, and it, it I don't know. It looks interesting, but not not amazing. <laughs> Are you planning on going to go and see it? I, it's the kind of thing I might well end up seeing. And if I don't, I'll probably seek it out on DVD. But I'm not going to. It's not 
top of my list at the moment to see at the cinema. Sounds about right. Okay, let's see if we can help you out with your decision later. Um, Em, what about you? I'm much the same, I think. I Probably DVD, I might sort of grab it on the week it comes out, but I doubt if I'll be hot-footing it to the cinema, to be honest. Okay, Brendan, how about you? What do you know about The Losers? Well, uh, everything Craig said applies to me in the sense that I've seen all the clips, I've seen all the trailers, I've, I've read a handful of the comics and looked at a handful more. I, I spoke to Idris Elba last year explicitly about the film and, and got some more information there. Um, I suppose where we're different is that I think it looks like it stinks. Um, I think that it, it looks like lowest common denominator pap with an aesthetic borrowed from uh, commercials. Um, I think that there's nothing interesting at all in any of the marketing material. I think it's peddling uh, some quite pernicious um, uh, pro-military myths in a, in a sort of under the, the guise of a sort of a of a sort of anti-military setup. It's, it's like the yeah, A team, frankly. It just seems like like morally vacuous, uh, narratively uh, underambitious, wishful fulfillment toss fest, really. And, and and the fact that, you know, something like, um, I don't know, It's a Wonderful Afterlife might be a little more wonky. At least it's sincere and it's trying to be about humanity. Yeah, that, that, that little quote you had about the toss fest, that should go on the poster because sadly that's pretty much exactly what happens with it. Um, I read... Uh, volumes one or two of the comic book. I was uh, lucky enough to be sent those, and I read them, and it seemed fair enough. It seemed like your your average, um, you know, men on a mission out for revenge and all the rest of it. It's, it and I'm, I'm glad you said the A team because it's it's almost identical to to what you know we expect from the A team. Um, where it fails, and I have to say it does fail quite a lot, is that it is nothing more than huge explosions tagged together with very faux witty dialogue with characters who are so one-note and who have nothing to bring to the screen other than, I'm here, this is why I'm doing it, I'm here because I, I miss my family after being framed by the uh, you know, by the American uh, military and I'm not very happy so I'm going to go and blow some things up. And the weird thing is that when these scenes play out, and they, it is very much like, here's the scene in the warehouse, here's the scene where they get this hard drive, here's the scene where they have to go through the security hacker. Like, it's it's such a cookie cutter um, way of doing things and there's very little linking it together even less engaging you on any level in any sense of you know emotions or you know humanity or any any sense of even excitement at some times don't get me wrong i think some people have have seen this film and they have um and they have said well it does what it does very very well and to be honest with you the the staging and and the framing is pretty much exactly the same as it is in the comic book so if you're a fan of the comic book and you don't mind the fact that it that it doesn't really have much to say about anything in particular then you will probably quite enjoy this because it's very fast moving it's very um it's very uh fetishistic on in you know in terms of you know explosions and and military there are occasion there is the occasional point and in particular when they have the 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 opening scene where it's the mission where they are part of the military and they go and they are screwed over basically there is a, a little moment in there which you, which is unexpected and it's pretty nasty and it does really shock you the problem with that is if you engage people on an emotional level very early on, then you have to build on it. And the fact is that the film doesn't build on it at all. All it does is it just says, well, here's your revenge set up. We're going to kill these, these, these people. I'm not going to spoil it for you. We're going to kill these people to engage you emotionally. And then we're basically going to lay out a sequence of explosions where you have you know enormous guns targeting 
you know, um, military uh, um, convoys and uh, and warehouses and you know ridiculous um, world-ending um, you know special effects um, things like that. And it, it, I have to say, I was, I was quite disappointed. But people were loving it, and the, you know, it, it's kind of disappointing to me because this comes out before the ATM, it comes out before the Expendables. I wasn't expecting huge amounts from it because the comic book is very cliched in terms of what it does. But what it does, it does pretty well. It's just these these characters. Yes, they're two dimensional, but you'd kind of hope that bringing it to the screen, they would have done a bit more with it. Um, there's only one person, and that's Idris Elba, who actually manages to pull his character out of the cliche in which it's built. He is a real menacing presence in it, and he he and, and Jeffrey Dean Morgan um, they do have this kind of antagonistic relationship, which kind of engages you a little bit. But of course. It's just so cliché. You know exactly where it's going to go from, you know, from maybe their second scene together. There's, you know, small laptops, lots of security decrypting this, decrypting that, ha-ha jokes. And when 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 the end happens, you just, you know, your head's in your hands thinking, I could have left an hour, an hour and a half ago and I would have known exactly what was going to happen. But um, And there's one scene I have a real problem with, which is Zoe Saldana um, and Jeffrey Dean Morgan it's their first meeting. They're in the hotel room. There's a bit of a fight, and basically Jeffrey Dean Morgan starts punching Zoe Saldana's character, you know, quite quite you know, viciously. She then uh, rolls off him and rolls away, and she's crawling away from the camera on all fours. And they decide to slow down the footage there so you can get a really really good view of her. And that bit, I was just thinking, you 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 know, that, that's a really stupid stupid thing to do. There's no need for it, but you start to think, you know. Um, it well, they didn't do it by it. mistake, did they, John? They exactly. knew what they, they knew who their audience were, and and it, I shudder to think. But it, and and you know, but people aren't picking up on that. People are saying, yeah, yeah, you know, the, you know this is other reviews that I've read online today because I think it's just started to have been reviewed today. Um, there's just there's there's the occasional moment where you think, well, that was quite nicely shot. You know, there are some interesting things there. But to be honest with you, you can just sit down and watch. You know, maybe a YouTube video of, of of a few explosions while listening to you know a couple of people you know talking and joking together, and that's all you're going to get from me. It, it was a bit of a disappointment, but having said that, having said that, I'm sure that I sold it pretty well. Um, any anyone interested in seeing it at all? Not now. <laughs> Crossing it off the list, even as we speak. <laughs> it's a real shame. I mean, I, I came out of it thinking. There were, there were moments there that I actually quite enjoyed it, and it knows exactly what it's doing. There are a couple of shots which are incredibly cliched in terms of you know the group walking together and it's slow motion and there's oh they do the walk they do the walk and (laughs) i thought i thought that that youtube video killed that how how many times have have you all seen that viral video of uh cool guys walking away from explosions yeah but but this is it and and there there is no sense of irony in anything that they do and that maybe could have saved it because there's the occasional bit in the script where They'll make a reference like um, Columbus Short is uh, is the character Pooch, and he um, does a lot of the you know, the getaway cars and all the rest of it. But he also mocks up uh, weapons, you know, out of nowhere almost. And one of them he does, he mocks up like a rocket launcher, and then he fires it, and it's all big and explosions and blah blah blah. And then he turns around and says, "I'm the Black MacGyver," and that's quite funny, you know. And that's a, a, a very you know small hint to the you know, to the influence of um, of, uh, of where the losers came from. but doesn't stop there, though, does it? And then he then says something like, Blagiva or something. Oh, I, I, do you know what? I, I, I didn't hear that, but if he did, okay. then... Even, I, believe even he did. I believe he says, I'm the Black MacGyver, beat Blagiva. Okay, instant respect, lost for that moment. <laughs> but, um, have, you um, ever seen, um, have you ever seen the original Inglorious Bastards? No. 
Because it kind of, it sounds, the way you're describing it, it sounds a little bit like that, but with none of the fun that that film has. But don't get me wrong, if you're like a 15-year-old boy and, you know, then, then, then you will love this because it has Zoe Saldana basically, you know, taking her clothes off and having, you know, the, 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 the littlest to do in the actual film, but, you know, wearing a lot of, you know, skin-tight clothing and enormous explosions and lots of people laughing. That's, that's, that's what it's there for. It doesn't do anything more than that. I think that when an exploitation film succeeds, it succeeds because of creativity and, and, and effectively novelty. Um, and, and the only sort of novel bits of this I've seen, you know, there's the, the, the gimmick with him, you know, shooting people with his air guns while the sniper does it for him and stuff like that. I mean, if it was wall-to-wall full of daftness like that, you know, Last Boy Scouts puppet killings and things like that, then, then I can see that, that it might have some exploitative appeal. And I think to... to reflect on what Craig said about the original Inglorious Bastards, that succeeds because of its, its sort of exploitation credentials and the way that it, it marshals these exploitative elements in a, in, a, in a pulpy but incredibly, you know, whatever the cinematic equivalent of being page-turning is, that's what that film is. Um, but, but as far as I can tell, um, I mean, I definitely didn't want to flip through the pages quickly and lose this comic book. I, I was quite happy to close it and walk away. Yeah, and it, 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 it won't improve um, when you actually go and see the film. And I don't know, it's 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 a shame. Uh, a lot of people did seem to enjoy it. The, the, but everything about it is totally unsurprising and totally uninspired, and there's no creativity in it at all, which I think, you know, is uh, is a bit of a shame. So that's my take on, on The Losers. So, you know, take it or leave it, but please don't really go and see it um what john uh, what did you think of chris evans in it um you've seen chris evans before in things like they had fantastic four on the yeah. tv um imagine him uh in uh, in glasses and and, and that's it he's really? um, and, and and obviously now we know he's going to play captain america and, and the character that he plays jensen is a kind of a jokey um almost geeky type um tough guy but he doesn't do anything more than that. He is bad at talking to women. They're making a, they sort of play up a lot on that. And um, but it's just so fake because he's Chris Evans, and you know he and you know he's the, kind of the cool guy in um, in Fantastic Four. And you can't just stick a pair of glasses on and put him in an odd haircut and and bad, you know, and bad costumes, and then expect us to believe that he's the kind of jokey person who can't who you know is terrible at, at talking to women. It just doesn't work. And and all he does in the same way that all all uh, the character of Pooch does. Is, is is have their one thing, which is I'm going to be jokey, and and that's it. Uh, in the same way that Pooch is going to be, uh, I need to get home to see my wife who thinks I'm dead. Idris Elba is, um, I, I think his his character is is just all about you know I don't trust anyone, you know, and and just goes on and on and on. And each character has their, has their one thing, which gets created in the very first scene, and then by the end of it, it's exactly the same. Nothing changes, and you kind of spent the last hour and a half with with these people going through watching these explosions and. All of these, you know, very interesting, or not very interesting, you know, scenes play out, and you're none the wiser, and you, you know, it's it's kind of disappointing, really. So um, that's that's my final word on it. Um, anyone else want to have a kick at the losers? No, I wouldn't want to kick it while it's down. <laughs> Excellent. In that case, we are going to move on to the final uh, review um, uh, for this podcast. We're going to look at uh, a film directed by Neil Marshall, which is out tomorrow in the UK. Um, Neil Marshall, who people should know from films like The Descent and, and, and Dog Soldiers, um, he did a film recently called Doomsday, which I haven't seen yet, but his new film is called Centurion. 
and it's got Michael Fassbender in it, um, which is pretty much all I know about it. But M, you got a chance to speak to uh, to Neil Marshall and actually see the film quite recently. Tell us first about the film, then you can talk uh, talk to us about what you spoke to Neil Marshall about. Architect. So Centurion is is a real kind of it's a project that's really close to Neil Marshall's heart. It it's a little bit of a schizophrenic story. It effectively. He and the intention seemed to have been his intention and the intention of the production seems to have been to tell the story of this kind of legion of Romans who, who just disappeared. And it, it was intended as the story of Hadrian's Wall. So these men, kind of great warriors, marched up into the north of England, up into Scotland and then disappeared. So he was intrigued to kind of tell the story of what became of them. It's they, they encounter all the Pictish tribes who have these incredibly savage fighting techniques and and wipe them out basically but it's not exactly how the story comes across because obviously it's not called the glorious ninth it's not called the ninth it's called centurion and that setup makes for quite a confusing viewing experience because it begins with the narration of a single man Quintus Dias who's Michael Fassbender it's very good no, None of the performances can really be criticised. Everybody in it is very strong, but it's confusing because he then he survives an attack on his own. So the film begins with Michael Fassbender running away across the snow and he joins up with the Ninth Legion and there's a very kind of um, Beowulf, hearty, all-men-together scene where um, we meet the general of the Ninth, Dominic West, the wires Dominic West plays General Virilis, and you kind of have the bonding experience of getting to know the various characters in the Legion. And then they march after this particular picked tribe. They want to take out the leader with the rather uh, interesting name of Gorlicon. They decide to go after them to kind of cut the legs out from under them, snatch and kill their leader and just wipe out the tribe. And then obviously, inevitably, it all goes horribly wrong. And it becomes a story of the survival of this handful of men. But we still have the hook of the Centurion story. So it's, it's a real tug of war between, I think, what Neil Marshall does best, which is the, the fantastic kind of pursuit, you know, people being picked off in horrible ways. And this, this idea that they have to keep returning to the story of Quintus Dias, of this one particular Centurion. And therefore there's a little bit of a dilemma about how they tell the story. So we do have some strange tacked-on plot points which seem to be there purely to to serve the, the title, effectively, and for no other reason, which is such a pity. Do you think that that was... I mean, it doesn't sound like that was always the intention, but in terms of... of I, I assume that, the, that Michael Fassbender is, is the guy that, that we follow, or is the, is the centurion that, that we follow. Is his story... Uh, totally incongruous to the to the rest of the stuff, or is it sort of nicely handled? Does it all come to a to a decent end? You know, sort of uh, dovetailing the the sort of disparate narratives. It 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 tries to in that he is our way into the ninth legion and our way into to the story, but then there needs to be such kind of clunking plot devices to keep him tied into it, and it's so determined to be a pursuit movie. So two thirds of the way in, it becomes a really good film and the middle third is fantastic but it is it doesn't dovetail it is a very kind of clunky join I think and and it necessitates a few extra little storylines towards the end and in particular a a romance to kind of to to give him a little bit of extra depth that is just it's not in keeping with the film and it it does jar I mean on on the positive side it 
Neil Marshall has worked with a lot of his heads of department before his DP, Sam McCurdy, his production designer, the makeup effects. The, the physical environment of the film itself is incredible. The Scottish locations just look absolutely stunning. The score is fabulous. The, um, the chap who scored Stardust and the young Victoria, he, okay. he's the gentleman who was responsible for the score. And there are moments when if they got rid of the terrible clunking dialogue and you could just listen to the beautiful score and look at the, look at the scenery, it would sort of excuse... But there is some, uh, there's some unforgivable explicatory dialogue that just shouldn't be in there. And it's so unfortunate because it's actually, at heart, I think, quite a good film. Okay, and give us a bit of an idea about the people involved in it. Because you mentioned Dominic West. Um, Michael Fassbender uh, is, um, is, is, I guess, the main guy. How, how does he do? Michael Fassbender is actually very good. I would say Dominic West probably plays it slightly as more of a caricature. Dominic West is fantastic. Olga Korolenko is in it. And I didn't... I didn't really, I couldn't picture how good she would be. She doesn't have to speak, which I think is slightly to her benefit. And physically, obviously she's physically attractive, but physically the role is very demanding and she's actually very, very good. The, you know, the, Neil Marshall does fight scenes, does gore amazingly and she really does rise to the challenge of that. And actually quite a difficult role to, to kind of convey the emotion without talking. I mean, unfortunately, the explanation of her backstory is, does slightly mar her character because it is all a bit embarrassingly over-explained. Um, David Morrissey and Noel Clark are a couple of the other soldiers who are sort of scattered who try to survive and get out of the enemy territory. Noel Clark actually was very impressive. He, he really was very good. And Liam Cunningham as well, who was in Dog Soldiers and I believe he's quite good friends with Neil Marshall. Okay, sounds good. Uh, guys, let's open this up a little bit. Um, Craig, uh, uh, do you know anything about Centurion? Are you planning on going to see it? Yeah, I mean, I'd seen the trailer um, that came out, and uh, I have Neil Marshall films, I've got a bit of a soft spot for most of them. I quite enjoyed them, but I have thought that most of them weren't particularly good. I mean, uh, Doomsday is enjoyable, but I think it's a mess. Really, really big mess. And um, The Descent is a pretty good horror. I think probably Descent's probably the one I like out the most out of them. Uh, Dog Soldiers, again, I've kind of got a bit of a soft spot. I quite, I quite like some of the cheesy dialogue and stuff in it, but I, again, I don't think it's a particularly good film. I'm kind of glad Neil Marshall gets to make films, but um, I don't think I've seen one yet that has really impressed me. I feel like they're almost like guilty pleasures a little bit. Okay, that's interesting. Uh, Brendan, what about you? Well, I've never really liked a Neil Marshall film. Um, I don't like Dog Soldiers at all. I think it's, I think it's everything I, I said about the losers. It's pitched at a fourteen-year-old mentality, and it's witless. And I think that the, the descent uh, is a series of cheap shocks and uh, you know pseudo-feminist um, uh, sort of setups that that don't wash with me at all, really. Um, so I'm not interested. I will watch it. I expect relatively little. I'm sure he's a tremendously great bloke. He seems to be friends with some of the nicest people in the uh, in the industry and even in the press. Um, and and uh, um, you know, I'm sure he's very sincerely a fan of a certain sort of film. But I think that um, at best his work is perfunctory. I think that um, uh, all of the criticisms M levelled at it are enough to just render it just. Not even. I mean, just 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 the small number of criticisms she levied in it tonight enough to render it not really worth you know someone's while. If you don't go to the cinema very often, you can clearly do a lot better than this. I'll watch it, but I'm not expecting anything from it at all. I wonder what we are expecting from Neil Marsh because he has made some films that people have liked, and you know he obviously continues to make them. But what is it 
do you think that we're waiting for until we see a, a decent, you know, by, by, by your standards, Brendan, a decent, um, a decent film from, uh, from Neil Marshall? So does anybody, you know, uh, an articulacy in the, the vocabulary of film um, and, and indeed it's, it's, it's uh, grammatical components. God, I sound like a git. But I mean, somebody who's fluent in the language of cinema, and that doesn't mean emulating shots from other films. It's actually understanding how film actually imprints upon and affects a, a viewer uh, an unconscious level, an articulacy in that, uh, script structure that doesn't depend upon uh, reams of tedious explication, uh, cliched off the peg characters, and you know, I mean, it's just it's just crap. It's just crap. Not interesting. Yeah, but- are, are we really expecting that from him? Because uh, I mean, I, well, I no, think I'm not expecting it. But but to answer John's question, that's what I think would be good. Cool. Yeah, I mean, I think that'd be great, but I I don't think that's ever going to happen. I think if he had that in him, he would have done it by now. Um, he's had enough chances to get that right, and I think, like I said, like they their films enjoying Neil Marshall films feels like a guilty pleasure because they're not very good. They're, there's things to enjoy in them, but. I, like all the things that Brendan said, I, d- I don't think he's ever going to muster. A, no, a great... and, and neither do I, and I think that's why he's not a good filmmaker, and therefore he's not interesting. Okay, so that's and, what we and think. I think he will remain uninteresting for the remainder of his career, 3D exploding people or whatever. Well, thank you for giving us a nice segue into it, because Emma, I wanted just to have a quick word with you about um, the interview that you conducted with um, with Neil Marsh, because he mentioned, and you mentioned this on a podcast a couple of weeks ago, there was something um, called Burst. That was, That's uh, right. Well. You couldn't talk about it then, but you can talk about it now. So tell us all about it. Yeah, well, this is his his new um, his newest project. He's it's going to be a Sam Raimi produced um, film, and obviously coming off the back of, of Drag Me to Hell, there's a little bit of expectation that there'd be sort of some some fun to that. Um, it's. It's a story about people who spontaneously combust, from what I can tell. I mean, he did try to <laughs> he did try to sort of uh, say that. Obviously, it's a slightly wider story than that. But yeah, I mean, I I, I would argue the point that that there's not really a, a place for him in, in terms of the sort of films he produces. I think Dog Soldiers and The Descent were fantastic, and I think the type of film that he excels at will will be this type of movie you know the sheer entertainment grab a popcorn have just have a night out at the movies where you can switch your brain off and just watch and enjoy and I probably that was slightly the fault of Centurion that it tried to kind of wander all over the place before it got to the heart of the story that he really wanted to tell in in person he he was a fascinating guy. I mean, he he was sort of a bit self-deprecating about burst and about yes, it is about exploding people. But he's he's fascinated with westerns. His sort of long-term project he's wanted to make, Eagle's Nest, is a real passion of his. And he just talked. He was very open. He was very funny. He just he just loves film. He loves what he does. He he was fascinated to know. I don't think we were around in time for anybody to review Doomsday, but he was kind of really keen to find out whether or not we'd loved all the 80s references in doomsday and like the prs were trying to usher us out of the room and he's like wait 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 wait, wait. tell me did you did you get that bit did you like that bit did you like that bit? he was he was just really down to earth and a very cool guy and i think doesn't have the pretension to expect that he will make anything other than the kind of things he does best so if his next one which is burst is, is going to be produced by is it produced by sam ramiam Yes, it is, yeah. So do you think that with Sam Raimi sort of looming large over the project that we might get something a little more um, decent from Neil Marshall this time? 
see, I'm I'm prejudiced because I love the idea of three D horror films. Yeah, yes, well, quite. <laughs> <laughs> no, I love the idea of of three D for horror. You know, I'd much rather kind of see an old version of the Blob in three D than I would have to sit through a three dimensional dance movie. You know, I just I I think I think it has a place to be used for kind of really cheesy horror films. I think there's definitely a there's definitely a role for it there. And actually, best I don't know. It sounds it's not going to be a brilliant night at the cinema, is it? But I I for one really enjoyed. Uh, Drag me to hell. So yeah, I have I have high hopes. Okay, I was a big fan of that uh, film as well. Go on, Brendan. I want to clarify something there. It's not the genre of film he's making. It's not the idea that it's supposed to be entertaining. It's that he's crap at it. I mean, if you take uh, Drag Me to Hell, that film's aspiration is to pull you up and push you down and drag, drag you around like you're on a roller coaster. But it's brilliant and it's well done and it's well done at a micro level and that's that's what I'm talking about here. The 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 skill and the execution and the understanding of the nuts and bolts of cinema on display in Drag Me to Hell are utterly absent from the films of Neil Marshall. Well, maybe See, that's... I would I would argue that that's completely present in the Descent, not to the refined extent that it is in something like Drag Me to Hell. But then Sam Raimi is has a much much broader experience of of movies. He has a much much kind of stronger vocabulary of film and he you know he he has had the opportunity to really really try his skills in different directions and i i don't necessarily think that neil marshall has had the opportunity yet okay well i'm actually quite looking forward to exploding people in 3d now especially as i know sam raven's involved so um let's draw that to a close um centurion is out tomorrow in the uk um so see it or or not um, I think probably the best film that we got out today was It's a Wonderful Afterlife, which is which is pretty good. But um, Craig did see a film called Black Death, which we're going to talk about in a few weeks' time, which is the latest film by Christopher Smith. Um, okay, that's the reviews for today. We're going to bypass any news uh, that came out over the last couple of days, and we're going to go straight into our uh, movie recommendation um, section, which we have now finally settled on a name for. It's called Ripped from the Crypt. And in this section, we take a film that we love, one that we think that maybe you haven't seen, and we just talk about it for a little bit and hope that you know it passes on to um, uh, people who maybe haven't seen it and may enjoy it. For example... Craig, I believe you've uh, recently picked up Blood Car, which is Brendan's very first recommendation. Is that true? Yeah, I'm looking forward. I might even watch it tonight, actually, but I'll uh, definitely report back, the, I'll, <laughs> I'll report back on the podcast. That's the yeah, definitely. And, and Brendan last week, um, or in, in, in the last podcast a few days ago, Brendan recommended The Lookout. This wasn't a part of the Rip from the Crypt section, but he did recommend it, and I've just got that today. Uh, from Love Films, I'll be uh, I'll be reporting back on that as well. So let's kick off today. Um, I think uh, M. Let's go with you first of all. What's your recommendation for us? Okay, Jake. Well, I don't necessarily think that my film is sort of languishing in a in a movie crypt anywhere until you speak about it to people and realise that not everyone has watched it. And since I firmly believe everyone should see it, this is my choice this week. And it is a 1948 film called The Red Shoes. Okay. Now, the usual... The, yeah, it kind of divides people. People who love movies love it and people who have had the temerity to not watch it say, isn't David Duchovny in that? Isn't David Duchovny in that? Red Shoe Diaries? Isn't so, that's an appalling, that's an appalling <laughs> slur upon the film. Okay. <laughs> Okay, so if if you've never if you've never seen or heard of the Red Shoes, apart from uh, shame of you, shame on you, just to um, outline, it's a Paul and Pressburger film. It's ostensibly it's about ballet. It's obviously loosely based on the Hans Christian Andersen story of the Red Shoes, but it's a story within a story. So the the Red Shoes is the ballet within the film. 
but also Victoria Page, the, the dancer, the main character in it, it's her story, which very much parallels the, the, the real dark tragedy of the Red Shoes. It's, it's got the most enchanting music. It's just a visually stunning film. It's absolutely perfect. There's a reason so many directors credit this as being their favourite movie. Martin Scorsese is utterly, utterly obsessed with the Red Shoes. It's just, it's a journey. It takes you on a journey of a kind of doomed love story and then uh, the love story that she has with the ballet and with the great love of her life and this sort of tug of war between the two. And it's just the most stunning film. It's it's very... (sighs) There's a heightened reality to it. So the colour in it is is kind of very, very dramatic and very over-the-top, very unrealistic. It's just absolutely breathtakingly beautiful. And it's just, it's a feast. It really is. If, if you haven't seen The Red Shoes, the only way to redeem yourself is to watch it immediately, watch it again just to be on the safe side, and then you'll fall in love with it. Perfect film. I have to agree. And also, I think it came out recently on Blu-ray. Or certainly I, I, be- I became uh, aware that it was recently out on Blu-ray. And it's on my list because I've seen it. And you're right, and it, it, it just enchants you completely. And for me, it was totally unexpected. It was one of those films that was just on TV, and I'd heard about it. So I, I watched it all the way through, and I, and I couldn't move. Uh, it was just so good, and now it's out on Blu-ray. You know, can't really recommend it hard enough. Um, yeah, it's, it's like an opera. It's completely sort of operatic in scale. It's just it's just so moving and so beautiful and it's not you know martin scorsese credits it with with kind of inspiring so much of raging bull you know this is not this is not a chick flick this is a real sort of you know this is Mm. a real everyman movie it's just a wonderful wonderful film yeah don't be put off if you will be put off by the fact that it's about ballet it's about people um craig utterly utterly uh, yeah, I, I was just going to say it's um, Scorsese's been really heavily involved in the restoration of the film That's recently right. as well, and uh, yeah, I've I've seen it I've seen it a few times actually. I, yeah, I really love it too, and um, I'm really looking forward to checking out the the new restored print as well because the the stills I've seen just look incredible. It yeah. looks like uh, it's totally revitalised the film as well. Brendan Scorsese aside, um, what do you think? Yeah, of the I've got to say, I love you, the wet shoes. I really, really love it. I think it's incredible. Um, I was once asked, what do I think the best scene in, in cinema is? And The Red Shoes came second on that list okay. with its uh, incredible ballet sequence in the middle, which is, is probably the heart of why Scorsese loves it because it combine, combines all of the impressionistic and expressionistic effects that he's so besotted with. What's so brilliant about The Red Shoes is it's perfectly got the perfect narrative structure and indeed formal... Uh, uh, sort of cradle for these for these conceits to be executed without them indeed being conceits they're, they're, they're practically essential um, and it's the it's the great cradle for all this technique that he's yet to find um, I think it's I think it's a wonderful film I think Emmerich Pressburger was such a wonderful script writer Moira Shearer is, is giving a gorgeous performance and Jack Cardiff's cinematography just stops my heart and the newly restored version is just the most sumptuous thing and it's worth anybody out there who hasn't got a blu-ray player that can play american discs i an american blu-ray player boy buy one by the summer because criterion are putting out a a newly minted uh blu-ray of the brand new remastered uh tip top completely blemish free version of the red shoes and you will just swim in it Mm. and we've all managed to miss it it was on at the BFI all through December and somehow I managed to overlook it and I'm just kicking myself now because yeah, I came, came, here to, came here to Oxford and was a great success with the student oh pop. fantastic 
see, it's good to know that the films like that are getting out there and uh, and being seen by people. Okay, and that's a really good recommendation. Brendan, can I just 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 quickly? Oh, I've got to know what Brendan. What did you pick number one? The uh, and, and it is and it is and all. Uh, if you give me a ream of graph paper and a copy of the DVD, I will scientifically prove this. The greatest scene in the history of cinema is the sequence in which Tom Cruise leads the rest of the uh, Impossible Mission Force on their heist of the uh, Black Vault in Langley. I thought it was going to be a Gilliam one for a second there. No, but... no, there is absolutely nothing wrong at all. Okay, there is. But there's almost nothing wrong at all from a technical point of view with the Langley heist scene in Mission Impossible. And the way the semiotics of the piece are incredibly clever. The, 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 the staging of it, is, it stops me in my tracks when I even start to think about it. The way it builds a very sly and clever subtext is jaw-dropping. I think it's, I think it's, the, I think it's the greatest single sort of you know sequence ever committed to film okay i think i think we're gonna to have to come back with our ones when i've had a time chance to think about it because that's really interesting and i hadn't even considered that one so i kind of get what you're saying but i hadn't considered it being that good okay think about it think about it what are these things what's actually going on how's it staged how's it shot how's it edited what's the music doing what are the colors doing it's just oh shivers okay that sounds great. Okay, um, Craig, let's move on to you and to your recommendation uh, for the week. Um, yeah, I, I've been hovering between a few different ones to decide for this week, but something Brandon said earlier uh, made me definitely swing towards this film. Um, when you said earlier about, uh, you were talking, Brandon, about the losers, and you said about exploitation, and it's, uh, you said something like, at its best, it's creativity and novelty? Yeah. Yeah? Um, so my pick for this week is The Man from Hong Kong. I had a hunch it was going to be that one, actually. It really was sort of like on the edge of my tongue right at the last second. <laughs> uh, yeah, The Man from Hong Kong is an Australian, te- you could call it exploitation film. Um, it's directed by action director, superstar, in my opinion, uh, Brian Trenchard-Smith. Um, it stars Jimmy Wang Yu, uh, George Lazenby, and in my opinion, the real star is definitely Grant Page, who's the stuntman on on the film, or one of the major stuntmark guys on the film. Um, it's about Jimmy Wang Yu coming to Australia, and he's a bad cop, and it's got all the things John said about all the bad things about cliche stereotype stories. It's even got a little bit of slightly uncomfortable racism, which <laughs> is a little unfortunate in the film, but it has action. It has action, so much action, so much fun action, so much creative action and so much novel action um if you want to see george lazenby on fire uh man from hong kong if you want to see Samo hung fighting on top of Air's rock watch the man from hong kong if you want to see skydiving um stunts uh into skyscrapers the man from hong kong's got it as well it's just absolute fun from beginning to end um just action 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 and uh it's just i defy anyone to watch it and not enjoy some of the scenes it's just yeah it's a total joy Okay, Brendan, I'll take it that you've seen this. Are you a big fan of it? I'm a big fan of Brian Trenchard-Smith, actually. Um, I really am. And I'm quite jealous when I heard that Tarantino had every single Trenchard-Smith. He had an impeccable 35mm print in them. And it was like, no! <laughs> now I have to break into your house. I've kind of, I'm going to cheat very quickly and say that I can recommend pretty much every Brian Trenchard-Smith film as well. 
And if you like anything about this film, go and check out Stunt Rock and Death Cheaters because they've got some of the greatest stunts in Australian cinema and I'd argue any cinema. Well, this time last year or so, there was a film on release called Not Quite Hollywood, which was a film about Australian exploitation films. And they actually did pay a little bit of lip service to Brian Trenchard-Smith in there, even including clips from some of his uh, TV stuff on the on the DVD, I believe. And um, uh, I went along to uh, last year's Spring Fright Fest at the, the uh, Prince Charles Cinema and I was very heartened to meet at least a dozen Trenchard Smith fans from the audience, which was which was very encouraging. Uh, em, have you have you heard of this guy? Have you seen this film? I hadn't kind of been tempted by it until last weekend. I think on film four, I, I managed to catch uh, Quentin Tarantino and several other people raving about it. Saw enough clips to convince me that I needed to watch it, and I have just been reminded tonight. So I think that's a reason enough to go and get it. <laughs> that sounds great. I can recommend as well if you um, if anyone does want to check out Trenchard Smith's films, um, if you can try and get hold of the Australian DVDs, uh, Trenchard Smith is, does fantastic commentaries. He's a really he seems like a really sweet guy. Yeah, um, DVDcrave.com. That's where I got mine, and yeah. they're quite cheap. Okay, excellent. And um, just uh, for people listening who um, maybe want to get more a bit more of a taste for the films that we're discussing right now, as always in the post on the site forum for this podcast, we'll be putting trailers. Um, for each of these films and uh, I'll also put a link to, to the website Brendan just mentioned as well so you can you can pick it up um, Craig nice I one. think we've all seen a Brian Trenchard Smith film I bet I can name one that we've all seen go on then BMX Bandits oh my god yes <laughs> that's a nice yeah, I, the past there I was vaguely hoping you were going to say Leprechaun 3 but I was thinking I'm probably <laughs> yeah, the yeah. best to say that <laughs> did he do Leprechaun 3 I know he did Leprechaun 4 yeah, he, did he may have that. done Leprechaun 3 as well but Leprechaun 4 is the one in space he did that didn't he yeah he tells quite a funny story about Leprechaun 4 and uh, a certain scene that's quite funny but, uh, yeah have a look on YouTube for that it's pretty good uh, I can tell you what, Craig, send me that. If, if you can find it, send me the link and I'll, I'll stick it on the post as well because that might be good for people who um, it, you know, want to have a look at it. Craig, is Leprechaun 3 the one in Vegas? Uh, yeah, that is. Yeah, he did that one as well. Ah, he He's a dirty man. He'll take any job. <laughs> <laughs> He's um, got a film coming out this year as well, which I'm, uh, I'm trying to get in contact with him actually to uh, sort, see if I can get an interview because uh, I'm quite intrigued about it. Yeah, What's the film? New, he's doing a new film called Arctic Blast. Um, which seems to be a kind of apocalyptic film where the whole world freezes. Um, which, I don't know, they, it could be terrible, but in the hands of Trenchard Smith, I, I'm going to watch it. That sounds cool, <laughs> really cool. <laughs> okay, well, we'll keep, uh, keep you updated on that, and it'd be good if we do get an interview with them as well. Um, Brendan, I'm going to let you go next. Uh, what's your one that you're going to rip from the crypt today? Okay, I, I suppose slightly in the, the style of M this week, and in, in you in past weeks, John, it's not really the most obscure film ever made, um, but there's a reason I'm choosing it this week. It's a film by Vincenzo Natale, and it's called Nothing, and I've chosen it because it's playing at Sci-Fi London this week, and it's apparently the first chance ever for people to see it on the big screen in the UK. So that's on uh, Thursday the 29th. If you get down to uh, the Apollo uh, Piccadilly, in fact, book in advance, you can see Vincenzo Natale's wonderful comedy film, Nothing. Okay, tell us a bit about it. Do it, yeah. Okay, it's about two uh, friends, one played by David Hewlett, who's basically in everything Natalia's ever done and became famous for being in like Stargate TV shows and himself directed a, a rather sweet uh, film called Dog's Breakfast. Um, and uh, uh, he, he's one of the two friends. The other one is Andrew Miller, 
uh, playing a character called called Andrew, and of course David Hewlett's character is called David. So you might expect that there's uh, some autobiography to this film, but uh, there definitely can't be because the premise is effectively these two guys just wish the whole world would go away and leave them alone. So it does. And they wake up in the morning and their house is in the middle of an infinite white void that's got the texture of tofu. That sounds terrifying. I think that's partially a nightmare of mine realised on screen. Guys, have you seen it? Craig, M, have you seen this film? No, not at all. No, I, I did hear about it playing at Sci-Fi London, and they've, they've also said, um, I read somewhere that they've said that it's, it's pretty much never going to get released on DVD, uh, which well, sounds quite... There's a Canadian DVD. Uh, hang on. Wait, listen. Yeah, sorry. It never released on UK DVD. There it is. And there's saying, a Canadian DVD. Are you um, banging it for us, Brandon? I am, yeah. And it's, it's tuppence, ain't me? Because, you know, it's old and it's cheap. So you can, you can get this off like Amazon.ca or something like that, really quite quite inexpensively he's got a good commentary by uh by natalie and, and some of the crew um and it's got like a nice little making off feature and it's worth you know i don't know four quid or whatever they're gonna ask you for it easily i mean if it's 40 quid i'd probably still recommend it it's one of my favorite comedies in the last 15 years okay and it's playing a sci-fi london okay um... sci-fi london yeah it's a kind of strange sort of um i mean you're right in saying that it's got a horrific notion to it because it is you know it's an existentialist concept isn't it and existentialism is is the abyss, John, and it does frighten me when I think about it. But but it plays it brilliantly for laughs. And there is a joke in the middle of this film about um, psychoanalysis, and I don't want to spoil it. But uh, I was watching it with some friends. My God, the belly laughs went on for about 30 seconds. And when you can have a belly laugh on psychoanalysis joke, then I think you're doing something right. So you're doing something right. But I think Natalie is one of the one of the greats. His new film Splice is the evening film at uh, Sci-Fi London this year. His first film Cube is probably one of the 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 you know the the cult films from recent decades that's gained the most traction. And his original short, his first short, Elevated, or his first widely released short. Uh, if you can track it down online, you must see it. Elevated is the story of, of some people in a lift, and one of them starts to uh, claim, uh, stops the lift and claims that they can't get out of the lift because the world's been invaded by aliens and they're at risk and they should stay in the lift. And the question is, you know, where's the danger? Is it outside the lift or, or is it inside it? And, and like Cube and like nothing, and like a lot of what Natalie has done since, it's a textbook in how to... Uh, make great hay from absolutely minimal resources. Not only that, but it sounds like there's a whole claustrophobia thing going on there. <laughs> yeah, I think his mum used to lock him in the airing cupboard as a kid or something. <laughs> well, good for her because we've got some really pretty decent films out of it. I have to say, big, big fan of Cube. Um, didn't really like the sequels. I don't know if he had anything to do with those, but... Um, Cube nothing. in particular. Okay, well, <laughs> in that it case, nothing to do with the it, it, it really seemed like they just jumped on a really good idea that was done, executed really, really well, and then try and explain it and make it make it worse. So, uh, I, I can hardly recommend uh, a cube as well. Um, all right, I'll, I'll, I'll try and put as much as I can on the post for this podcast so that people can um, can enjoy what um, his work. Uh, thanks for that, Brendan. Uh, I'm going to finish off tonight. Last time on the podcast, I recommended. Dracula AD 1972 and it got me thinking about a few of the other films that that particular friend who used to come over and bring uh, odd uh, odd horror films over um, he had a, another couple up his sleeve and one of them is the one that I'm going to recommend for you 
uh, tonight again and I think this is kind of clarifying what we're doing here with this section it's not necessarily the most obscure films but it's ones that that we have really enjoyed and maybe um, uh, people out there haven't seen so we're kind of just championing them a little bit um, this is a 1971 uh, campy horror film starring Vincent Price uh, and you may know the name it's the abominable Dr. Fibes and I think it is without doubt the most disturbing and bizarre and hilarious and odd film that I've seen uh, in, in the last couple of years. It's about Vincent Price and um, he is this, um, he's a famous uh, music um, doctor. He was supposed to be killed in a car crash with his, with his wife um, and what happened is uh, his wife was being, uh, uh, she was going to have surgery performed on her by these nine uh, particular doctors and they died. Uh, in uh, At the same time, Dr. Fibes is disfigured horribly, and then he escapes, and then he plots his revenge on these nine doctors. Now, if you say it like that, it's pretty standard. It's just a revenge film with a lot of gruesome horror scenes, but there is something deeply twisted about the abominable Dr. Fibes. And if you've ever seen um, bits of it, and I'm, I'm going to put the trailer up on the, on the post of the podcast... Nothing will quite prepare you for for what's in store here. Vincent Price doesn't talk. The mask that he's created for himself to hide his injuries is just the Vincent Price face. He speaks through a hose connecting his windpipe to a gramophone, of course. Um, And what happens is he takes his revenge slowly, um, based on the ten plagues of Egypt on each of the the nine doctors uh, who was present at his wife's death. And there's a real um, sense of, of, of the ridiculous in, in that notion, in the sense that he's, you know, he has, um, he drips, uh, he drips some sort of liquid on, on, onto one of the uh, onto one of the nurses, and then drops locusts, and they eat her alive. And if you see the trailer, which I've put on the post, it's ridiculous. It looks absolutely crazy. But there's the bit about um, Doctor Fibes and and his location where where he where he does um, where, where where he lives. It's this bizarre art deco environment where he lives with uh, Volnavia who is his silent female um, uh, accomplice uh, who helps him carry out these sort of hideous uh, these hideous murders he has a clockwork band who play this music and if I don't know if it's just me but I had real um, a, a real terrified reaction when I saw the these clockwork people performing this music while Vincent Price rises from the ground, smashing this organ with this enormous, you know, sort of stirring music coming up. And I didn't know what on earth I was in the store for. Um, another good thing about the film is Joseph Cotton's in it, and I'm a very big fan of, of, of Joseph Cotton, and in some ways he does bring a bit of uh, a bit of uh, normality to this, um, to this, what is essentially um, a revenge murder mystery thriller film but it's done in such a bizarre way the 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 set design the campy performances it's just a really really fantastic film um guys have you seen this this film em have you seen dr fives no not at all but based on title alone i think i need to watch it straight away it sounds incredible title alone vincent price is just fantastic the trailer will will hook you and then i think you'll love the film great what about you um, I, I remember vaguely seeing it as I was falling asleep one night. Uh, That's going to give I, you some really weird dreams. Yeah, I, I remember I watched a lot of films as an insomniac teenager and uh, fell asleep to them and completely forgotten what they're about. And I'm sure this is one of them. So it's one I've definitely got to revisit. And yeah, yeah watch it again. 
Yeah, you have to. I mean, I've, I've not seen anything like it. There was a sequel to it, um, which is uh, Dr. Fibes Rises Again, because, of course, at the, at the end of the film, there's a, uh, did he did he commit suicide to be with his wife or not? We don't know. And the sequel kind of answers that. And I haven't seen the sequel, so I'm really looking forward to that. Brendan, what about you and Dr. Fibes? Are you acquainted? Yeah, what a weird film. The strangest thing about it is how passive all the victims are. They sort of just let him do it. I mean, particularly the weirdest ones, the Dr. Longstreet, I think, played by Terry Thomas, the guy who's watching the pornography. Yeah. He just sort of sits there and lets him drain all his blood. Do you know what I thought? I thought that was Volnavia kind of casting a spell over him because Volnavia is this very stylish, very young, pretty woman who, you know... uh, Well, she's got... She's like some sort of, like, magical sort of sex goddess or something or what I mean I just it's just really odd I mean he's just so passive while he has all of his blood drained I mean it's really I mean it's Terry Thomas playing that role and he actually comes back in a completely different role in the second film this is the this is the sort of stuff we're we're dealing with here I mean it's just it's openly surrealistic and uh, but I I think it, it I mean Vincent Price does a really really good job of it and I have to say that um it is those those death scenes that do get more and more ridiculous there's one about um, uh, the the Egyptian plague is uh, frogs, but you don't get people like you know eaten by frogs or whatever. You have someone in, at a party wearing a mechanical mask of a frog, whose throat is crushed by something that the that, that Doctor Fibes does to it. And someone's I think they're they're, they're eaten to death by a by a, a plague of bats or something like that. I mean it's absolutely ridiculous, and um, you know it gets more and more inventive and more and more bizarre. And at no time do you think. Um, he's you know he's he's going to succeed or he's, he's going to get found out. You're not really interested in that. It's more of a sort of you're sitting there and, and it's almost as if you're stoned watching this film and and and, and your mind is kind of you know influencing it. But um, I'm a big fan of it. I have to say I'm really looking forward to seeing the sequel because like, I haven't seen it yet. But it's kind of um, a bit of a curio that not many people have seen. So um, just check out the trailer that I'm going to put up on the site. And I think you'll be I think you'll be convinced. It was uh, it was produced by Samuel Z. Arkoff. And uh, it's kind of in step with the rest of his exploitation films. We're on a sort of bit of an exploitation theme tonight. And I'd like to say Arkoff had a, had a formula which was based on his, his name. And this was his... I gave my formula for exploitation earlier. And this is Arkoff's. He says, A for action, R for revolution, K for killing, O for horatory. <laughs> what? Uh, F for fantasy and F for fornication. And that was uh, that was Arkoff's recipe for an exploitation film. What a genius! It, it just seems really bizarre. There are moments in it where you'll think, "What on earth is this person doing? What am I watching?" It's kind of crazy. It's kind of bizarre, but I think you will enjoy it in the end. Particularly the ending. It's it's just the staging of um, of, of, of how it all works. It's uh, you, probably unlike anything you've ever seen. So, um, okay, that's my ripped from the crypt uh, for for this evening, and that's going to draw us to a close. Um, I'd like to thank everyone for your time and for your opinions and for your DVD recommendations. Uh, you can follow everything that, that Craig and M and I do on heyyouguys.co.uk, or you can follow us uh, on Twitter. We're there at heyyouguysblog. Um, we're on Facebook and uh, and and everything else. Um, Brendan Conley, you can find right slashfilm.com, and of course his wonderful slash film UK column, which comes out around about every Friday. So do check that out as well, uh, guys. It's been very entertaining talking to you tonight. Thank you so much for your time, and we'll see you again next week. Bye.